0: Hello, it's 1st of July 2017 and this is episode 35 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been?
1: It's been good. I've been working from home a few days this week, so I've just kind of had the Clone Wars going on in the background. (laughs) Um, Oh, nice. Because there's still so much of it to get through. Like, I can't believe how big this show is, to be honest. Um, And every episode is super action packed. So it's kind of a good way to get myself through a couple more episodes of that. Um, And I'm getting ready to leave the country for six weeks. So I'm, yeah, pretty busy with real life stuff as well, but
0: still thinking about the Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah no so again i'm like you i have lots of real life stuff going on right now that i won't really bore people with so i haven't been able to find a star wars angle on it that much (laughs) um but yeah it's probably a good point at which to say that because we are both busy over the summer don't be surprised if the show does become a bit more ad hoc um so while we will definitely still keep on doing the show over the summer it might not be every week like clockwork at, on the weekend so don't be surprised if we post an episode on a thursday if some big news comes out the previous day or something because we might do it in a bit more of a spontaneous manner we'll, we'll see how it goes and we'll feel it out and we're not committed to any plan yet but yeah basically expect the unexpected over the next month or so in relation to Star Wars <laughs> keeps things exciting <laughs> yes it does um because fingers crossed we should be getting some big news coming including a trailer praying 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 <laughs> um, but we will need to see um but yeah rest assured when there is news we will try to be there to cover it so yeah fingers crossed um oh I heard um we got a review Kirsty is that correct <laughs> Yeah, we got our first
1: one star review, which I'm kind of upset about. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, in this person's defense, we have had a couple of negative episodes because of the news that's been coming out. So they were saying, like, oh, this show's too boring and too negative. And the last couple of shows we've been talking about, like the Colin Trevorrow issue and the Han Solo drama, which. We've tried to spin as positive because we're trying to see it as, you know, a a good thing, even though it's not a great look for Lucasfilm. But um, yeah, there's no there's no getting around the fact that the news hasn't been great for Star Wars recently. But this week, I'm very excited about what we have to talk about.
0: So, yeah, exactly. It's not all sunshine and rainbows, but there are a lot of sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. So I think there are reasons to be optimistic and. Yeah, it's like Kirstie says, it's not like we like to be negative about Star Wars. We don't want to be like the Debbie Downer podcast of the Star Wars podcast and (laughs) world. we do want to be happy about Star Wars and talk about things we're enthusiastic about and excited by. But when you have a few weeks where it is mostly negative press, like about the Trevorrow stuff and about Lord and Miller being fired from the Han Solo movie, it's hard to find too much of a positive spin. Although, to be fair, I do think that with Lord and Miller, we were more positive than many people because in the end, we basically took Lucasfilm's side and said, Yeah, we think it sounds like they were justified. So,
1: yeah, it's hard to know what to think about all that because obviously, at the moment, we're just kind of going off hearsay from these anonymous sources. And as some of them mm-hmm. are contradicting themselves or con- contradicting each other, like about the old Aaron Reich, whether he's turned in a good performance so far or not. Um, yeah. Because I know a lot of people are panicking about the fact that they hired him an acting coach, although I think that is pretty standard. Um, yes. So, yeah, I mean, it, it all depends on your personal approach to this kind of thing. Like, I was excited about Lord and Miller initially because I like their films. But at the same mm-hmm. time, based on what we've been hearing, it might have been a good Call cool for Lucasfilm, so yeah, but yeah, if people like the show,
0: <laughs> <laughs> please feel free to leave us a review, <laughs> yeah, exactly, um, we appreciate your feedback, and like while we obviously don't like to get one star reviews, like it is still useful to hear what people are thinking, so we obviously don't encourage people to rate us one star because it does kind of drag the whole enterprise down somewhat. Um, like we do welcome feedback. It's not like we don't listen when people say there are things we wish could be done differently and stuff. We try to take that on board.
1: Yeah. I appreciate the honesty because sometimes when you're just kind of going from week to week on the show, you forget that there's like a, an overall perception that you're putting out there. So if you have a couple of weeks where you're talking about news and to be fair, we can't control the news narrative, but uh, I guess not every podcast is going to follow the news as closely as we do. Um, yeah. So... Yeah.
0: Exactly. I think that's a good note to leave that on. Um, Yeah, and besides the whole review question, um, if you have any questions for the show, please do email them to scavengershoard at gmail.com. This week we are working with a new technical setup. So pray for us. Pray for us very, very hard (laughs) that this works. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, we've been working on it this week and sometimes it felt like every single thing that could go wrong was going wrong. (laughs)
0: yeah it was like beyond there being like a power outage midway through recording one of these tests or something it feels like every single bad eventuality happened in terms of like software breaking down and technical fizzle and all kinds of nonsense but yeah fingers crossed this works
1: yeah thank you to everyone who reached out with suggestions of different softwares that we could use because We've tried a couple and they just weren't really working out, so we've gone with Zencastle, which I think was recommended by Skytalkers, so thank
0: you. Thank you. Right, okay, I think this is a good time to move into news, Um, and this will be a mix of news from this week and news from the previous week that we did already talk about, but weren't recorded talking about it for the aforementioned technical issues. Um, So we're going to be covering a little bit of old ground, but also plenty of new ground. So the first story is that The Last Jedi and the Han Solo movie have been featured in a brand new reel or like a little promotional video on a BFI trainee program and there's also a press release accompanying this which explains what the program is all about so I'll read that out and then we'll just briefly touch upon what the Star Wars content shown in the video is. Um, So this is from the press release. At the House of Commons this evening, the Culture Secretary, Karen Bradley, Producer Barbara Broccoli, BFI Chair Josh Berger and BFI CEO Amanda Neville launched Future Film Skills, an action plan to some of the biggest names in film and education. The launch is a UK-wide call to the screen industries and education sectors to support the new plan and for people with transferable skills and young people, especially those from underrepresented groups to join a booming industry, film, high-end TV, animation, VR and interactive media that is recognised the world over for its highly skilled workforce and state-of-the-art facilities. This skills strategy is supported by Lucasfilm, which has pioneered a pilot programme with the BFI placing 28 trainees, the majority of which are alumni of the BFI Film Academy, as paid trainees, working in various craft and technical roles across the Untitled Han Solo project currently in production at Pinewood Studios. The Lucasfilm programme is an exemplar in industry-led youth training with a specific focus on inclusion and designed to provide opportunities to address underrepresentation in the workforce. On this program, 75% of the trainees are women. 45% come from BAME backgrounds. 68% were recruited outside of Greater London, and 36% received free school meals. Um, yeah, that's just like an abbreviated version of like the key points from the press release. But I think it's really, really cool, and I, I'm really happy that this is happening and that Lucasfilm were on board for it. Because it's easy to complain a lot about representation not being like given the attention it deserves and like women ethnic minorities being left out from these roles behind the scenes but this seems like a very very real and tangible effort to improve on that and to change things so i think it's hugely positive
1: yeah i was really excited watching this video and i got pretty emotional just hearing some of these young adults like talking about what this opportunity meant for them um, how excited mm. they were to be working alongside these people who were very accomplished in the, in the field. Like one of the guys was talking about Bradford Young, who's obviously the director of photography on the Han Solo project <clears throat> and how inspiring and helpful for their own careers it is to watch these people in action and learn from them. So it just seems like it's awesome that Lucasfilm are doing this and, and working in partner with the BFI because I don't know about you, but sometimes I worry about the British film industry. I know it has a lot of great history and everything, but um, I don't know, like funding can be hard to find these days and especially with people from different backgrounds, it's just kind of hard for people to get their foot in the door. So this kind of thing is very much needed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do think it's really hard, especially if you're based outside of London, to like get a start in these industries because everything is so heavily concentrated in that area. So I know that I made efforts to try and get into media and film in particular when I was fresh out of university. Like, And admittedly, I probably didn't have the right educational background or training, but I found it pretty much impossible because I came from this remote rural backwater (laughs) that felt like a million miles away from London and all the production facilities. Um, And so I think it's also really good that they're trying to target people from a wide range of geographical areas. Um, like alongside the very important efforts to get people from ethnic minority backgrounds and more women involved as well so yeah it's really really cool mm-hmm. um, and god they're so lucky <laughs> to be working yeah, on these I was films
1: I so excited to see what them like doing their jobs and surrounded by all of this amazing stuff like I just can't imagine how cool that is to have that so early on in your career to work on a Star Wars film yeah very
0: exciting exactly it's a hell of a thing to have on your CV <laughs> Um, what did you think about the brief footage they showed from The Last Jedi in the reel? So it was a shot of Rey running along a beach and then like an, a few alternate shots of like Phasma walking into that burning hangar. Yeah. So it's alternate perspectives basically on scenes we've already seen in the trailer.
1: Right, we'd already seen them in the teaser, but it was still really cool to see. Um, I was, I was hoping for some Han Solo stuff, but it's understandable they wouldn't bring that out in like this kind of capacity first, but it's safe to include stuff that we've already seen to an extent, but you got some little extra details that were missing from the context of the teaser. Like now we know that Ray was running on a beach, whereas previously I kind of assumed that she was running on like over grass or rocky terrain on the Island. So, um, I wondered if that had come from, I don't know if you remember seeing this, but last year, um, these kids in Ireland uploaded a video of them seeing Daisy Ridley on the beach. Like one of them was screaming, yes. like,
0: "Oh, that's Ray!" So that might have been that. Yeah, I did see that. It was so so adorable. It's like this family and they're passing by, and you can hear the little girl saying, "Look, it's Ray!" <laughs> and she has just the most like awed tone of voice, and it's beautiful.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I'm guessing that came from whatever they were filming that day because it looks like the same kind of area um yeah yeah so it was cool and the phasma stuff i mean we again it's kind of similar to what we'd seen from the teaser it was just a different angle but it's always cool to get new images so
0: yeah i think the main thing you get from the shot of phasma is just the scale of it mm. like how vast that set looks um which obviously isn't a surprise because films like this are absolutely at the top top tier so they are going to have the huge sets and the bombastic special effects yeah um Yeah, it's cool to be reminded of that. Um, Yeah, and just I think one more thing I wanted to mention in relation to this is I think it's really nice to see like Kathy Kennedy like commenting on this because she's like quoted in the press release and everything and she's clearly got a personal investment in this initiative and I think that's especially cool because if I'm recalling correctly and please don't quote me so I might be wrong I think she got her very first job in the film industry because of some kind of like initiative that was meant to like increase representation and bring more women in for example um, so yeah I, I just think it's really cool that like 40 years later from when she got her first break she's now in a position where she can give other people their first break um, so yeah it's just really nice yeah that is awesome because sometimes um,
1: people kind of observe this like phenomenon where people um, find their own success and then pull up the ladder behind them and don't always yeah. remember to pay it forward. And that's obviously not the case with Kathleen Kennedy. So that's really awesome. Right. Then the
0: next story is on the hand Solo movie because we've had yet another report. <laughs> this time from the Hollywood Reporter, um, which has some new details, which are going to be worth talking about. I will allow Kirsty to take this over. like can use her lovely fresh voice. <laughs> As soon as shooting got underway,
1: insiders say, it started to become clear that Kennedy's stated intention of hiring directors who would put their own spin on Star Wars movies had led to a mismatch. Some insiders say that while the talent of Lord and Miller is undeniable, nothing in their background prepared them for a movie of this size and scope. These sources say they relied too heavily on the improvisational style that served them so well in live-action comedy and animation, but does not work on a set with hundreds of crew members waiting for direction. You have to make decisions much earlier than they used to, one of these sources say. I don't know if it's because there were two of them, but they were not decisive. Production department heads began to complain. While the pair appeared to listen when told of festering problems, this person says their approach did not change. But the source close to Lord and Miller acknowledges they have always worked in an improvisational style and not just to add comedic elements. They collaborate closely with their actors and give them creative freedom that, in their experience, brings out the actor's best performances, this person says. Lawrence Kasdan would not allow this and demanded that every line was said word for word. To appease him in the studio, Lord and Miller would do several takes exactly as written and then shoot additional takes. Matters were coming to a head in May as the production moved from London to the Canary Islands. Lucasfilm replaced editor Chris Dickens with Oscar winner Pietro Scalia a veteran of Ridley Scott films, including Alien, The Covenant, and The Martian. And not entirely satisfied with the performance that the directors were eliciting from Rules Don't Apply star Alden Ehrenreich, Lucasfilm decided to bring in an acting coach. Hiring a coach is not unusual. Hiring one that late in production is. Lord and Miller suggested writer-director Maggie Kiley, who worked with them on 21 Jump Street. But an insider argues that Ryan Johnson shot Star Wars The Last Jedi, set for release in December, seamlessly, proving that the right director can execute without major interference from Lucasfilm. The search for new and interesting filmmakers will continue, and for many, perhaps, the siren call of Star Wars
0: will be impossible to resist. Thank you. Beautiful reading. (laughs) Very nicely done. Um, Yeah, and just to add to the main article, there was like an additional paragraph added to it as an update because apparently they needed to correct something that was misleading in the original. And this is the update. A previous version of this article stated that the crew of the Han Solo spin-off broke into applause following the announcement of Ron Howard as director. In fact, these sources say the applause came at the end of the meeting in which the departure of Lord and Miller was announced, and they were informed a new director would be arriving. The sources say the mood at the meeting was somber but there was applause in support of the movie not in support of lord and miller's departure so i think that's a very big change from the impression they gave in the original yeah
1: i yeah i saw people going oh my god they were applauding them leaving the project that i think people must have thought it was really bad but i always thought when i read that that it would be more about like okay we're in support of the new change like we're excited to get back to work and and we're going to make Ron Howard feel welcome. And we're excited about what this could mean for the film. Like focus on the positive as yeah. opposed to like, Oh, thank God they're
0: gone. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, like, it just seems like straight a bitchy to be honest. It's like, <laughs> Oh, thank God we got rid of them. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's what would have happened. <laughs> yeah. So it's good to have that clarification. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting article. Um, there's obviously more to it than what we read out because it ran for thousands of words. Um, but yeah, like, did any particular detail or new piece of information stick out to you here, Kirstie? Um, I think...
1: I guess it's just, again, them comparing it to what seems to be coming out from The Last Jedi, that there's a total contrast. Yeah. So, you know people are given that creative freedom and sometimes it works out sometimes it doesn't and that is the risk you're going to take if you're going to give your directors creative freedom
0: yeah I guess for me there's a few things that stand out I think the bit about the acting coach being hired for Alden is interesting although I do think it's been spun like in a really cruel and personal way in the media because I've seen so many articles where the headline is Lucasfilm is not happy with Alden Ehrenreich's performance as Han Solo And I think that's a real exaggeration and it's really unfair to the actor because I'm sure he's been doing a great job. It's just, it's such a particular thing that's required of him when he's filling the shoes left by this other incredibly iconic actor that, yeah, I'm sure he probably does need some help and support. Um, And again, I think the question just comes in why was it left so late because the article makes a point of saying that is often common for acting coaches to be hired but it's not so common to have them be hired like midway for a production um so yeah like it's, again it seems like there's some mismanagement involved and people not being as attentive as they probably needed to be early on but it's very hard and again we have so many like various accounts and it's all secondhand and it's all very gossipy and cloak and dagger i must say i do get the impression though that the vast majority of these articles coming out in like variety and hollywood reporter and stuff i think most of them are being planted by lucasfilm people because the majority of them do seem to paint the decision in a favorable light and i think if it were come in from lord of miller's camp it would be colored quite differently that's true um
1: Yeah, it all ultimately frames it as the right decision because, yeah, we're hearing that things were just not going the way that they planned and I do find it reassuring that they're saying that um, Lord and Miller had been shooting um, scenes, like, using the script closely Mm. and then going off and improvising because it means that that footage will still be available for Ron Howard to edit with. Yeah. So people have been saying, oh, maybe he's going to have to start all over again, but if that's true, it's not the case. They can go back and look at those earlier takes and work from there
0: yeah exactly because they are clearly very talented filmmakers so i don't think there should be any doubt that they will have filmed usable and really high quality footage like for many scenes so i don't think it will be a case of ron howard he didn't start over but yeah like it is interesting it very much seems like they were like champing at the bit like to be given like total freedom in the way that they presumably had freedom on their previous projects um and yeah just because of the nature of the beast that clearly wasn't going to happen so
1: yeah that sounds great in theory but if you have a character like han solo and a property like star wars so much of it is tied to other side material that people are probably working on right now i know people make fun of the idea of canon sometimes it seems like a pedantic way for fans to be fans everything does kind of have to correspond with what's come before and what's going to come and if Lucasfilm are planning content years ahead um, they they just have to have a little bit more oversight from the story group and from Cowson himself So
0: yeah no totally um, yeah and I think like you said it's always nice to be reminded that everything has gone so very smoothly on The Last Jedi <laughs> that is always the big silver lining to me with all of these reports the fact that it is a very clear sign that, yes, things did go very badly wrong with the Han Solo movie, but it's not like that's inevitable. It's not like that happens with every single production going through Lucasfilm, because if it were some kind of endemic problem, then The Last Jedi should have gone tits up as well, basically.
1: Yeah, people have been very enthusiastic about The Last Jedi, and we've, we haven't we have really heard of any problems. I mean, you've you got all this talk about reshoots with Rogue One, and I'm guessing reshoots have happened with the last jedi because that is standard but we haven't heard about them like being extensive or yeah badly needed or anything
0: so yeah Yeah, feeling good about that exactly and like even the force awakens there were lots of problems with that because the production had to shut down because of harrison ford's accident so that was already a much more troubled production if there had been something like that with the last jedi then we might have actually got spoilers (laughs) But still, I don't true. wish harm on any of the cast members for <laughs> such a petty reason so <laughs> we're um. good <laughs> um, right then I guess the next thing to talk about is that the first Forces of Destiny trailer has been released Um, and I think I'll mostly hand the floor to you with this Kirsty. so I know you're super super excited so
1: go I am I just thought this trailer was really really cool Um, and I'm really excited about it to have all of these stories about female characters that we already know from existing stories but um like for example I am I just can't wait for new Padme content yes because sometimes I get the feeling that she was maybe going to be overlooked in the new canon but the fact that they've included her in this Mm. um I mean we'll, we'll find out next week what the story's about but yeah like you get that kind of oh they're ignoring the prequels thing sometimes but it's obviously not the case and I'm most excited about the Padme dolls as well for the merchandise, which we haven't seen yet. So I have a feeling that they're saving the best or last because maybe she gets all of these different costumes. Yeah. So I'll I'll be getting one of those for sure.
0: Yeah. No, I really, really want to see the Padme doll and I really, really want to see the Kylo doll.
1: Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting that that was announced, but he's not going to be in the actual cartoons, presumably. (laughs) We a special guest appearance from Kylo Ren it doesn't look like any of the st-
0: he wouldn't make sense to be in any of the stories <laughs> he like randomly popped up. up onto Q <laughs> like a bit early yeah yeah no that's not gonna happen
1: because the stories the stories are canon but yeah they sort of, for that reason they have to kind of neatly sidestep stuff like that mm. Um, but I, I I'm excited about the fact that they showed two different stories for Leia right there was one where she was on Endor with Wicket she mm-hmm. was saving him and then she was in her Hoff outfit as well. Yes. Um, oh, actually, there might have been the three as well, because she was with Sabine. Yes, no, you're right. Well,
0: yeah, yeah, she was in her New Hope costume for that, I think.
1: Yeah, so we, we saw three different outfits for Leia. That's cool.
0: That's really cool. And very sensible from a merchandising perspective. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> and I'm really excited for the story of her and Sabine as well, because we've talked before about the lack of depicted female friendships in
0: Star Wars. Yes. So... Yeah, you no, know, is They were going to be one with Ahsoka and Padme as well. Yes.
1: Yeah, there was. Uh, you saw Ahsoka in Padme's apartment, so I'm assuming I can't tell if that's like the same story mm. because Padme was obviously getting ready for a fight there too. Yes. Um. So yeah, it'd be cool to see them team up as well because I I liked the little elements of their friendship that you got to see in the Clone Wars.
0: Yeah. Do so. they interact much in the series?
1: Uh. Yeah. I mean, obviously not anywhere near as much as Anakin and Padme do, and. Anakin and Ahsoka does but yeah. It's,
0: yeah it's there okay that's really cool like you say it's really really nice to see female friendships and female relationship because that was one of the issues I had with Rogue One the fact that it's awesome that we get this female lead but if you look at like photos from press events for Rogue One is literally Felicity Jones and then surrounded by a sea of dudes so she's the only woman. (laughs) Um, So yeah, like it's really nice because I think Forces of Destiny is going to course correct for that somewhat which is awesome. Um, Yeah, Hasn't there been quite the dialogue going on about this trailer as well on Twitter, Kirsty?
1: Oh yeah, but that's to be expected, right? Like anytime you have something that's focusing on female characters you'll get this kind of little backlash from people well mostly men who were like oh where's the one for guys like there are (laughs) six movies with male protagonists (laughs) obviously it is not all male star wars fans doing this it is very small minority or unfortunately uh just creating a stink for no reason Mm. um some people have and i'm not an animation expert at all so it doesn't bother me um, and I'm a, fa- I'm actually a fan of these kinds of cartoons. Like I'm a big fan of Samurai Jack, so that's that kind of classic animation. But um, yeah, some people are saying that they don't like the animation style compared to shows like Rebels and the Clone Wars. Yeah, which is obviously a completely different level of criticism. So that's fair.
0: Yeah, no, because I must confess that the animation style doesn't appeal much to me either. But like, that's okay because it doesn't need to. Like um, not everything is going to be completely up my alley in terms of style, and it just so happens that the style I prefer and in, in animation is very like intricate and expensive, so I wouldn't realistically expect them to have the budget to allocate to something like this to make like incredibly like detailed animation. It's very stylized, um, and that's fine. It's just an artistic choice for me. It's more important for what it represents, and it represents something really cool and really special in really being a great celebration of all these awesome female characters and actually showing them interacting and having these friendships and relationships so yeah
1: right and it's the first of its kind so if it's a success then the next time something like this comes along it might get a bit of bigger budget
0: yeah no definitely i think it's really cool
1: yeah they're 3 minute shorts that let's be real are largely about them selling toys. Yes. (laughs) Because that's, to a big extent, that's Star Wars' business model, right? (laughs) They're they're big on the merch, so I'm excited about the dolls equally as much because um, it'll be really exciting to have children play with those dolls. Mm, Because they're they're different from the classic action figures.
0: They're really beautiful
1: dolls. Hopefully next week we'll have more to say because we'll actually have the show. (laughs) Yes.
0: Are they releasing all the episodes at once?
1: Oh, I don't know, actually. That's a good point. I haven't seen anything about that. Mm -hmm. So I I had assumed so, but it's totally possible they're not.
0: Yeah, I guess we will find out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Right, the next story is that Adam Driver has said that the last Jedi establishes new rules for stars. This is a, a bit of a fluff quote, but Adam always manages to put things in such an eloquent and exciting way that it's like, Oh, it sounds so exciting, even though there's not much of substance. Yeah, so basically Budweiser have sponsored this scheme where there are grants given to like people to pursue like her education and in the video there's this girl and she really wants to study nursing or something like that um and her dad is this disabled veteran and the family was struggling for money um and in the video it's very heartwarming and adam driver goes to their home and he says you've got the funding and then he gives them all a great big old hug um, and it's very touching but that has nothing to do with star wars what does have to do with star wars is that adam gave an interview about all of this to the huffington post And, of course, they asked him about Star Wars. (laughs) So they said, You've said you think Episode Eight is remarkable. What do you think fans can expect? I said what Ryan had written was remarkable. He created new rules for the Star Wars universe and balanced the familiar and unfamiliar very adeptly while respecting that his audience can handle ambiguity, which you can see in his previous films. Characters and story are his priority. So is this music to your ears, Kirsty? um i guess
1: in that it, i mean it's a nice quote but as you said he it's like very vague so it's just enough to tantalize you but there's no detail yes um so we can kind of speculate as to what he means i'm guessing that when he talks about the new rules he means that they're expanding force law yeah or it could be world building um just something that kind of broadens people's perspective of what star wars and the galaxy is
0: yeah i think that's pretty much as far as you can go in terms of reading into this because yeah like we both agree that it's very vague deliberately so of course (laughs) um but yeah like he's saying the right things he's getting people pumped Um, i just can't wait for them all to talk properly about this film like when they're actually impressed junkets and they have to go beyond these like vagaries and actually like make points and have proper conversations about the film Um, Mm. because there's only so many times i can hear them talking generalizations (laughs)
1: Yeah, I'm excited for, like, he keeps mentioning ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's mentioned it before in like a moral sense that there is moral ambiguity. And um, he's brought up the comparisons between the resistance and the first order and how both sides are convinced that they're right. Yes. Um, so. Yeah, like, I, I think that's going to create an interesting story where maybe for a lot of the film, you're not quite sure where you stand with each of the characters
0: because um, yeah.
1: they have set up these expectations in a way with the first film and then somehow they're going to be challenged
0: mm. yeah no it's really exciting um to think about like what will these words uses mean because obviously adam knows exactly what's going to happen so he's probably talking about very specific things we just don't know what those specific things are right now um did you oh yeah no I know for a fact you saw because you sent me the link but I was thinking it's a shame that they're not going to be at San Diego Comic Con because yeah at that for 2015 they were all there for The Force Awakens even Adam even poor reluctant Adam (laughs) was dragged there. It doesn't
1: surprise me though to be honest because it seems like they're trying to make a bigger deal out of D23 and if that's just the week before yeah they don't want Comic Con to steal their limelight like if they if they want to have content out there that's new they Mm. want to be able to control that as much as possible, presumably.
0: Oh yeah, no, it makes total sense. I think it's more just the loss of the panel of the actors that I'm lamenting. So I don't think at D23 they'd have that.
1: Yeah, but again, that might even be part of the reason, so that they can let these people keep filming whatever they're currently filming, or you know, it's, it might be preferable to them to start the junket a bit later.
0: Yeah, no it's true. They do all have very very busy careers right now, so I think Adams meant to be shooting in that soon. Which looks awesome. I'm so excited for
1: it. Is Michelle Williams in that now?
0: Yes. She replaced Rumi oh, okay. Mara. Um, for anyone who's uninitiated, Annette is um, a musical about a comedian who's married to an opera singer who dies. And then apparently they have a, a little girl who has some kind of like supernatural gift. And it's a musical. Um, So it sounds ab- absolutely nuts, but in a good way. And it's by the director who did Holy Motors, which is delightfully weird. So, Yeah. Hmm. For the
1: Force Awakens, I guess it made sense for them to start promotion pretty early on. Yeah, because that was like the first film in such a long time. But now they're probably not going to start stuff until the four, really, right?
0: Yeah, no, that's true. It's the hard truth, but I think it is the truth. Um. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like we're we're still
1: in for a treat from D twenty three, whatever it ends up being. So
0: yeah, no, definitely. Sorry, I need to keep that review in mind to be more positive. <laughs> <laughs> I've been like, come on, come on. Yeah, actually that's a good point. On the subject of being more positive, there might be a new trailer for The Last Jedi coming soon. Because this was one of the things we talked about in the failed podcast <laughs> as I shall call it. Um but yeah, the British Board of Film Classification on the twentieth of June they passed two trailers for The Last Jedi, one 2D, one three D. And they both have a length of one minute and 31 seconds. And yeah, it just seems to indicate that we might well be getting a new trailer soon. So yeah, is your bet going to be on D23, Kirsty? I'm not sure because we've
1: been hearing whispers of a behind the scenes reel as well. Yes. So, and apparently when they show things at D23, sometimes they're things that don't actually reach the general public.
0: (gasps) So I'd be a bit heartbroken if that's the case. I would be completely heartbroken if the crowd at D23 get a one and a half minute long trailer of new content and we don't. Well, Yeah, so maybe
1: th- there's no way they would get like the trailer that we would never see, right? They're going to get behind the scenes stuff
0: mm. and then
1: maybe we would get the trailer because if they're cutting something for, what's to say it says 2D and 3D, that sounds like it's a theatrical trailer. Yes, that is very true.
0: They're not going to be showing it in 3D at D23. Yeah, so maybe that's something that comes out a little later. Yeah, no, that would make sense. Um, it could it could either be that, or they show behind the scenes reel first, which like is completely exclusive to D twenty three. We don't see it, um, and then at the very end of the panel, when everyone's complacent and they think they've had everything they're going to get from Star Wars, they shock and amaze everyone for a trailer that is then also put up online. I think something like that is possible, but who knows? Yeah, just got to wait and see. It's only a couple of weeks away. Exactly. It's not like
1: know. we're focusing at the moment on all the stuff that's to come. So we're like, ooh exciting, <laughs> but not really talking about any new content because Forces of Destiny literally comes out in a couple of days. Yes, but, yeah, we can't I wait that long like,
0: to record the podcast. So yeah, <laughs> I think we're like on the precipice of a few really big things. And then, like, the anguish of talking around things and saying, well, stuff's going to be coming soon, guys. Real soon. Just <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Um, but yeah, that time of suffering will soon be over. Exactly. We're
1: getting to the point where we're going to have all the official stuff anyway. Exactly. Because when Force Friday comes in September,
0: we're going to have so oh much.
1: I can't wait. And they're going to have all those new books as well. So yes. it, like, I, I love that they have these, like, Journey to the Force Awakens, Journey to the Last Jedi, because it's like oh, uh, I could have months of actually consuming all of this new content in preparation for the film I'm already excited about. Exactly. Like those new Luke and Leia books, and I know there's a Fazbear one as well, which I'm slightly less excited about, but hopefully it's still good. But Yes. the Luke, has, what he's been up to since Return of the Jedi, obviously it's going to be very vague stuff that doesn't really give us any huge amounts of information, but it's probably still going to be written in this really intriguing way. And then yeah. Young Leia as well, Like that was something... I was hoping eventually that we'd have an anthology film for but i'm really excited about it because it's claudia gray and she's awesome
0: yeah she is really good and i know it's weird because i'm obviously not a big phasma person but i think i perhaps am most excited for that phasma book like and not as much for phasma herself but because i think of all these books i think that's the one where we'll probably learn a lot about the first order and how that whole operation worked, and like became more powerful, like while it was off in the unknown regions, because mm. that's a really intriguing story to me, and I like to think we're going to see that story told, or at least in part, um, because I can't—I like, don't know what else the backdrop would be to that if it's not that story, basically.
1: Yeah, but. I would be excited to find out. I don't. Did you read *Empire's End*?
0: <sighs> no,
1: to be honest. Okay, well, there's this little bit in there that you're like, is this girl they're talking about, Phasma?
0: Oh, yeah, no, I saw that bit.
1: Yeah, there's a possibility that it is her. And if it it is, then that has implications for how she is kind of introduced into the First Order and what her context is for becoming kind of the leader of the troopers and everything. So that would be really intriguing to find out.
0: Yeah, no, I'd really like to see that. Um, right, then the last news story is that Colin Trevorrow has asked Ryan Johnson to film something for episode 9. Although, again, we'll talk about this, but it's unclear what exactly happened, and we can debate that after we've read the quote out. So, this was in an interview with Happy Sad Confused. So they said, Ryan has said that he asked JJ to make a small change to Force Awakens where he wanted R2 to go with Rey to the planet. Is there anything similar where you asked Ryan to make a change? Or adjust something? Or, hey, could you do this? Because I have an idea for something in episode 9 that'll pay off. Colin, There was one little thing. It wasn't an adjustment. It was just, could you shoot this one extra thing while you're in this place on this day? And he did, which was great. But, you know, it's part of the collaborative process that exists. Everyone is in communication. There's such a genuine want to get this right from everybody and I think that one of the misconceptions is that there's some kind of great corporate overlord that is dictating the story to everybody and that's what it's going to be because that's going to sell the most toys. The reality of it is that it's a small group of people but it's actually, you know, kind of large when you think about it and none of them are corporate, all of them are creatives and all of them are genuinely, very sincerely, wanting to do the work of their lives in order to realise this. Um yeah like I said when I was reading out my title I think that's probably a bit misleading because when you actually read the full quote the impression more seems to be that Ro- Colin asked Ryan to add a short scene into his film rather than getting Ryan to shoot something for episode 9
1: it's really hard
0: to tell i don't i think they're purposely
1: being ambiguous with it because when he says could you shoot this one extra thing while you're in this place on this day it could mm. also mean that like there's a specific planet location that Colin doesn't have the time or budget to go back to when he's actually filming episode 9 himself but he wants to show something happening there or it could be yes. like a flashback or something like
0: i don't think we're supposed to be able to work it out <laughs> yeah no it's true everything is always so oblique when they're talking about these like projects that are still in the future um so i think you're right and that is meant to be ambiguous i guess my only doubt in terms of ryan being asked to film something for episode 9 is that I'd kind of expect Ryan's visual style to be distinct enough from Collins, so that a, a Ryan Johnson-directed scene in episode nine would kind of stand out and seem like a bit of an awkward fit. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure they can adjust that and like discuss so that that wouldn't be the case. But that was just the thought I had in the back of my mind.
1: Yeah, I guess we'll find out in due course. It'll probably seem really obvious to us once we have all the three films. But that's a while away. Yeah. <laughs> so- exactly it's the waiting game yeah but I like again that this emphasises collaboration and communication across the films and the various filmmakers and that Colin's he seems to be referencing the story group again here that you know they're they're not corporate they're creative um, and their focus is on the story
0: so that's great exactly I think it's super reassuring he's saying all the right things Colin is always really good at saying that he reassures me whenever I read an interview quote from him um but yeah like it and it also reminds me of like ryan's comments about the artistic freedom because i i know there was a lot of debate over like plot gate and oh does this mean there's no plan but i think that ryan and colin they're both trying to express the same thing with their comments they're just putting different spins on it and like focusing on different angles because ryan was very much about like his independent control as a director like in his ability to come up with the story he wanted to tell whereas colin is about pointing out that while there's collaboration the emphasis is on creative collaboration not corporate collaboration right so
1: when people are like oh there's no plan it's like well there is a plan but it's the plan that they're coming up with together it wasn't yeah. set out in stone from before The Force Awakens even started filming. Yeah. Which is fair, totally. you know, it's a big long creative process stretching over many years with many different people. Things have to be fluid to an extent so that these people can have their creative imprint on what their final work is. Yeah. But they're exactly. all working together to make sure that it makes sense.
0: hmm Yeah. No, it's really crucial. Um right. I think we are now done with news which feels like quite the an achievement <laughs> um, and the next segment is it came from Reddit um, and I thought this was worth bringing up because this is from someone who would previously posted what they claimed was like insider information from The Last Jedi um, and that insider information Quick potential spoiler warning because, like I said, this is completely unverified and it's most likely wrong or misleading or just completely false. But if it is right, it has the potential to spoil like the final act of the film. (laughs) So if you have any doubt in your mind, please do skip ahead by like five minutes.
1: Yeah, so this is not from someone who we think is trustworthy right now, it's just it could end up being correct. So please take it all with a big grain of salt. We're just talking about it
0: in like hypotheticals. yeah exactly it's just in case because i hate that thought of reading something out and thinking oh yeah it's complete nonsense there's no truth to this and then six months down the line it's like oh there was actually a lot of truth to this (laughs) so i like to prepare people even though it's 99 percent certain to be misleading or wrong um Yep. Yeah, so basically, this person who is called Darth Moonlight, they're posting on the Star Wars speculation subreddit. They previously put up a post saying that the last Jedi ends with Rey going with Snoke after Snoke has betrayed Kylo because he wouldn't kill Rey, and then also at the end of the film, Kylo, Poe, and Finn are all meant to end up on a star destroyer together that is going down and about to crash. Um, so it sounds like a very, very dramatic, exciting ending. Um, again, no idea if it's real, but it sounds cool. And this, the same person has come back to post this, which is from five days ago. And they have said, so my mate's mate who works in the industry was back the other week. I try not to press him on things as he closes up, but he said that The Last Jedi had some reshoots of actors after Carrie's death. He said they had already shot some alternate scenes with Carrie and these shots were to sew up her story. No names on characters, I'm afraid. Um, Again, very, very brief and vague, and we're just talking about it purely in hypotheticals because we don't know if it's accurate. But just go in for it and assume in that it's worth discussing and there's something to this. I find this really interesting um, because if I understand them correctly, he's basically implying that they had shot alternate versions of scenes where like perhaps Leia... Might dies. She she's like more gravely injured than it's the case in another cut of the film. But it just strikes me as odd, and I'm not sure it's a very Ryan Johnson thing to do because surely you just have one story, and then if you shoot like alternate scenes with that actor, then that would fundamentally change the story. So yeah, I'm not sure what to think. I am very skeptical about this because Kathleen Kennedy has said
1: quite repeatedly that they're not changing the story for eight. So yeah what the story was that Ryan wrote is the story. It's not like he's doing a choose-your-own-adventure thing where at the last minute he changes (laughs) the direction and he shot all these different versions of the story Um, because that's a pretty big thing to change. Um, Yes. So it's the kind of thing that I'm like, um, I don't want anyone to like run away with this and think, oh, thank God they're going to wrap up her story in a way that makes sense for the film because the way that Colin Trevorrow talks about Leia is that they've still got a lot of work to do in that capacity. So if this was the case for eight, they wouldn't be talking about it for nine. Yeah.
0: No, that, those are my thoughts as well. Like I think in a way, it's quite like tempting to believe this and take it at face value because there is a certain appeal in thinking, okay, her story is going to be wrapped up and that is going to be natural. It's not like they're going to have to write around this um, because they already accommodated like for this scenario during filming and then added to that with reshoots but I just don't think it's realistic because we've had so much emphasis like on episode 9 being Carrie's film and it being so much about Leia and and presumably Leia's relationship with Ben and I, I don't see how that can be true as well as the idea that there were alternate like death scenes shot for The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. It's all just really weird. Yeah, I just don't
1: think it corresponds with what people have been saying about episode nine. Because as you say, they wouldn't be making a big deal about that being her story or her film, like the way The Force Awakens was Hans and what The Last Jedi is gonna mean for Luke. So it it just doesn't really add up for me. But I can see why yeah. it would be tempting to believe.
0: Yeah. I could see them having like done like in. I can see them in reshoots having done a very a few small things to like try and help Colin out and to try and like set things up like if possible I have no idea what that could be but by like, just trying to take that into account to some extent but I'm even doubtful of that because it's like you said Kirsty. they've been insistent that they have not changed The Last Jedi because of this mm. so I don't think the two things are compatible but we will see. I'm very, very intrigued to see how they handle Leia in The Last Jedi, and I really, really do hope it's as good a swan song for her as what we've been hearing, because everyone has been really quick to stress that Leia has a really important and meaty role in The Last Jedi, and I'm so excited to see that, and to see Carrie thriving and vivid and this carry on screen again you know it'll be really nice yeah
1: exactly like for all the talk about nine being leia's story i hope that still means that eight is substantial because honestly like i I guess a lot of it comes down to editing as well but for the force awakens there were all these cool scenes with the resistance layer that didn't end up making it in um and i still value those deleted scenes because they are they're canon and they're they're carry being filmed as leia um Yeah, I guess you never really know until you see the final edit of the film.
0: Exactly. We still have much to learn. So then we are in our last segment, which is questions. And it's long overdue. Very sorry. (laughs) Um, And the first question is from Susan. Just listen to your latest podcast, which I regularly do. I really enjoy them and want to commend you on your interest in discussions. Thank you. I was surprised that you did not mention the recent appearance of Rey having two different lightsabers in the new Battlefront 2 promo information. There have been screenshots of her of Anakin's lightsaber that she is typically seen with, and then another which looks suspiciously like Obi-Wan's lightsaber. Both are listed as Rey's lightsaber. I would love to hear your comments and discussion about what this might mean. Um, Yeah, I think it's my understanding that that was just like an error, like it was just a placeholder weapon used on Ray's screen by mistake or something. Um, so I don't think there's anything to read into it. Is that your understanding, Kirsty? Yeah, one of the developers was asked on Twitter about
1: it afterwards and he said that it was a bug, uh, which is pretty common at this stage right like before they actually released the game. So I, I don't think we mentioned it because I, I, either we'd already seen it at that point and just didn't think it was worth bringing up because of that debunk. But yeah, we just, we didn't go there. <laughs> um, so I don't think, it, yeah. it, it don't think it's like a clue for anything.
0: Yeah, I don't think we can really read anything into that, to be honest. Um, with the next question from Joanna, are you okay to read it out, Kirsty? Sure. Just to mix things up? Yeah. Um, cool. Ever since I saw TFA,
1: I've been grappling with JJ's portrayal of Kylo Ren and what he wants us to think of the character. I think it was very, very clear, both from TFA and from the other sources you cited on your podcast, that Kylo is getting a redemption arc. However, for a long while, I found this very difficult to reconcile with the fact that JJ showed Kylo killing Han on screen. As you know, patricide is considered particularly problematic in traditional storytelling, and I can't think of a single instance in fiction where a son is depicted murdering an innocent father and does not die in the end. I can't help thinking that Kylo will be redeemed, but will ultimately die in a noble, heroic self-sacrifice, and that JJ decided to show Kylo killing Han, knowing what sort of end such an act set up. I can't help but think that J.J. could have simply depicted Han's death as something Kylo caused indirectly or inadvertently, which would have, in my humble opinion, made him appear far less morally culpable in the eyes of the general audience. I was wondering what you think of this assessment, and if you think there are any other Kylo endgame options that you think Lucasfilm would realistically approve, based off of its assessment of what they think the general audience would accept. If you know of any analogous instances in fiction where a character who commits patricide survives the story, could you perhaps discuss same some in a podcast episode
0: yeah i think this is a really interesting question i think it's totally possible that like it's the redemption and death double bill because obviously a lot of star wars is like it's poetry it rhymes um so that would be a very clear rhyme with darth vader's fate in the original trilogy and it would be a way of showing that the character's gone back to the light while also not downplaying or making light of the fact that he killed his father um because I do think it makes it tricky for him to be redeemed and live a normal life. I don't think we are possibly going to end this trilogy with Kylo being completely rehabilitated and just one of the good guys with everything forgotten. I think they'd be horribly dishonest and do a disservice to all of the characters. Um, at the same time, I don't think it's inevitable that he has to be killed off. I think there's lots and lots of possible directions for the character and potential ways that they can adjust the audience's perspective on him, despite him having done such an evil thing and killing his father. Um, But yeah, that story is still to be told. So we will see. Um, What are your thoughts, Kirsty?
1: Yeah, I think Kathleen Kennedy said in interviews before that they consider the fact that there are lots of potential story directions for Kylo. So I don't think it's necessarily that he's written off and has to die by the end of the trilogy, but I do think it's a, well, I used to think that it was a strong possibility. Um, But now that we're going to have Han, Han has died, um, obviously at Kylo's hand. um, And that um, Leia is probably going to die as well. I find it less Mm. likely that Kylo is going to die. But I still think yeah. there's going to have to be a fitting end to suit, you know, what what he's done, at least if it's going to be a good story. Um, but again, Star Wars is not about revenge and retribution. It is about love and hope and compassion and forgiveness. So um, I can see something that's kind of middle ground that potentially paves the way for future stories if they want to go there, like he goes off into exile and tries to atone for his sins. That kind of thing. yeah. Yeah. Um, So that the audience feels that, yes, he's been punished, that he's... And again, this is something that fits into his archetype as a baronic hero. He's not going to be someone who is embraced back into the fold of mainstream society. He's he's chosen that Mm. himself, right? So it's just not that kind of... It's not that kind of story, I don't think, where he would just end up on the good guy's side again, like you say. He'll probably work with them at some point and... Um, try to make things right for himself but yeah the the patricide is kind of a big deal Um, and I can't see Ryan or Colin um, ignoring that because it's a central part of the story and what they wanted to say with the character
0: yeah I do think they went into it with their eyes completely open because you can't have a character kill his own father and not be aware of how that makes that character seem in the eyes of the audience and also the inevitable ramifications of that act. Um, what I really think is that a lot of the decision behind having Kylo do that will have been about creating an expectation of the character in the eyes of mm. the audience. Because I think in general, if you speak to like the lay viewer of The Force Awakens and ask for their opinion of Kylo Ren, they're like, he's completely evil. He killed his father. How could anyone kill their father? Especially how could anyone kill Han Solo? Because we all love Han Solo. Um, So I think they can't help but have been aware of that. And they wanted that perception to be widespread and the dominant perception so that they could then pull the rug out from under people's feet in The Last Jedi. I'm not just saying that means they're going to do something that makes Kylo look like some innocent little lamb. He's obviously not going to be, but... I think we're going to see the story become much deeper in terms of understanding how Kylo fell under Snoke's influence in the first place and much more importantly we're going to see hopefully like how wretched and tormented Kylo is by the fact that he did such an evil thing because I think the film has the responsibility to show that the ultimate punishment for that kind of act is going to come from within yourself because it almost any Punishment that society can inflict on you can't match the like pain and suffering you're going to feel inside over having made such a dreadful mistake. Or at least that's how I'd imagine they're going to approach it, um, based on my understanding of the character. But yeah, that's just my approach, so we will see. Yeah, I mean, they're
1: already kind of going that way with what they're saying about him, right? Um, JJ was very emphatic mm-hmm. in the commentary, you can see it at the end of The Force Awakens that Kylo regrets what he's done. Um, the things that Adam Driver is now saying in interviews, like what he said in Vanity Fair about patricide not being it's all, all it's cracked up to be, and that he's going to be suffering. He has <laughs> internal scars to match his external ones, that we're going to see more of Kylo's humanity. Like it's all pointing that way. So I'm I'm getting ready to board the Kylo Ren pain train for episode eight. Yes.
0: I think there's gonna be lots of like psychological self-flagellation, if yeah. you will,
1: which was already his thing. <laughs> It's fully in keeping
0: yeah exactly <laughs> yeah like maybe at one point in one of the comics we're gonna like see him like open a cupboard and there's gonna be like whips <laughs> whoa
1: <laughs> step back girl
0: <laughs> oh, i think i read a fanfic about that once <laughs> i'm sure you did
1: <laughs> oh my goodness
0: um we said all we want to say about that uh
1: yeah i mean obviously we don't have much to go on besides our own perception of the force awakens and what seems to be coming out with the marketing so far um but yeah i i think it's a possibility but do you agree with me that it's now less likely because of what's happened since the beginning of the story oh yeah yeah i just i think it would be too much of a downer for the family as a
0: whole yeah i think it would be so like nihilistic like, do you know what I mean? Because if the dad dies, then if the mum dies, and then if the son dies, that whole family is just completely wiped out by the end of this trilogy. And I do think that is a very, very depressing note to end on. Yeah. And, yeah, to me, like, Star Wars isn't about nihilism and saying, well, that's that then, that's the end of that love story. Sad, isn't it? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like... And we've had, you know, Colin has
1: said, and, and Kathleen as well, that they have had to go back to the drawing board of episode nine and rewrite in response to mm. Carrie's death. So, you know, you can think of that as, oh, it's just in response to Leia, but she is connected to other characters and obviously he is her son. So yeah, I can see that having a, a big knock-on effect with what they would do with Kylo. Because exactly. if he is going to be redeemed and Leia's not there to embrace mm. him and forgive him, there has to be something else in, in place of that, whether it's him... Um, thinking about his mother or talking to someone else about her. Um, There's just going to have to be something else there. Um,
0: So I guess we'll see. Exactly. It'll all come out in the wash. (laughs) Um, Right. Then the next question is from Deepa via email. Hello, Rachel and Kirsty. I love listening to your show. And like you, I really enjoyed the character of Kylo Ren in The Force Awakens. He's definitely my favourite character in The Force Awakens. I'm not sure if you've ever felt this way, but it always frustrates me when people refuse to accept Kylo as a Skywalker. Once I even saw a post on Tumblr referring to Kylo and Leia as second-hand Skywalkers, who would never be true heirs to the Skywalker legacy, and this was coming from a Leia fan. This brings me to my question. What exactly do you think people mean when they talk about the Skywalker legacy? What does it mean, and how does one become an heir to that legacy? If you ask me, I think Kylo already embodies that perfectly. To me, the Skywalker legacy is the legacy of the dark side. Kylo has had to live with the weight of that legacy his whole life, even with his family concealing the truth of Darth Vader from him. The weight of that legacy affects Luke, Leia and Han, and you can see that in the novel Bloodline and in The Force Awakens. It's not something that I see as a positive thing. I think some people want Ray to be the heir to the Skywalker legacy, but I really don't think that's something Rey would ever want to aspire to. Um, yeah, so what do you reckon the Skywalker legacy is, Kirsty? I think this is a strong
1: theme that the sequel trilogy is exploring. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, yeah, as she says, Kylo is the embodiment of that right now, and that's why he is conflicted. He's on the dark side, but he still feels the pull to the light because the Skywalkers, as we've seen, feel that they don't do things by halves. <laughs> so they're either strongly on the light side or they're falling to the dark side and committing atrocities. Um, so the sequel trilogy might be about bringing that into some kind of balance, whatever that ends up meaning for the force. I don't know. Um, yes. But yeah, like I, I don't think being the heir to the Skywalker legacy is necessarily a good thing. Obviously it's not when when we see them telling the story with Kylo, who is the Skywalker. Um, mm. People have made that pretty clear. Like that's how you're supposed to understand the story. He's not some unrelated bad guy. He is Han and Leia's son, and that's what makes him doing these awful things profound. Um, yeah. So, I I would I would not even go and acknowledge people saying things like secondhand Skywalkers and they don't count because <laughs> everyone at Lucasfilm has made it very clear that they perceive Kylo and Leia as Skywalkers. So yeah, that's not even relevant. Yeah, no,
0: I wouldn't worry about that. Absolutely. I, I think, yeah, it's like you say, what the Skywalker legacy is, that is the question that is at the core of the sequel trilogy. Because I think that's like what Kylo himself is wrangling with in universe, because it's clear that he understands his mission to be finishing what Vader started. So we don't know exactly what that means, what he understands that to mean. But it's very clear that he has this sense of responsibility as the Skywalker heir to fulfil the destiny of his grandfather somehow. Um, And yeah, we see him making all these horrible, awful decisions because of that position. Um, But I think what we've seen from the character in terms of the nuance with which he's portrayed and how he's shown to be so human and vulnerable, I think that does make it very clear that it's not like an open and shut case, there are opportunities for this character to develop in ways that are beyond the Dark's path, basically. Which was exactly the case with Darth Vader, because even though he seemed like he should absolutely be the darkest of all Dark Lords, it obviously didn't turn out that way. Mm. And he had that light element, and he had that compassion and his love for his son. So... Yeah, I think the Skywalker legacy is ultimately about recognising that there is still hope, there is still opportunity, there's still love, and all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Then the last question is from Chadell. Dear ladies, I want to let you know that I really love the podcast, and I know it's a bit late, but congratulations on the award for your excellent podcasting. Thank you. My first question is whether either of you have read the, the Timothy Zahn novel Thrawn, and if you have, could you give us your thoughts on it? Um, quick and boring answer from me, but no, I haven't. Although I have a friend who's read it, and she doesn't even like the new Star Wars canon, and she loves it. She yeah, thinks I've, it's a great book. Yeah, I've heard lots of good things,
1: so it's on my list.
0: Yeah. Now, I think Timothy Zahn is like a really reliable author and that you can trust him to put out quality work like, all the time. So, yeah, he's a bit of a ledge. And then the second part of Shadal's question actually touches on a spoiler from The Last Jedi. Um, and yeah, because of that, I think this is probably a good time to introduce the spoiler klaxon.
1: I shouldn't. Do it.
0: Um, right, and now that's out of the way, <laughs> um, we can read out the second part of the question. The second regards a spoiler from The Last Jedi, that Kylo's arrival at the temple, he and Rey begin a duel during which he is forced to the edge of a cliff where Rey supposedly disappears, perhaps fallen into the ocean below. I've heard some people speculate that since it's likely Rey can't swim, Kylo jumps in to save her. I was curious to see if you think that's a likely possibility. Keep up the amazing work. I'm guessing this
1: is from the making Star Wars spoilers from the island filming last year when he arrived yes. on Act 2. And then he engages Rey and the Knights of Ren supposedly go after Luke. Although parts of that correct. have since been walked back. So, Yeah, correct. Um, so the first part of what she's saying is part of the spoiler, right? That Kylo goes after Rey, they begin to duel, and they, as they're fighting, they go up the side of a cliff and then Rey disappears. Um, yes. and people have speculated that means she falls into the water because we've had... Um, shots of water from Ryan's Instagram and then there's like the part of the cliff has been filmed like as a set at Pinewood and stuff like that Um, so that part might you know that's totally plausible Um, I -hmm. guess the part that she's asking us about is whether it's likely that Kylo could jump in to save her which is uh, at the moment I would just consider that a headcanon because there's nothing to suggest it so I've seen it as a very popular thing yeah. in fan fiction and art and everything, and that's great if people want to play with that as fanon right now, but there's there have been no further spoilers
0: to hint at that in any way. So we just have to yeah. wait and see, basically. Exactly. We have no idea what happens to Ray, basically. Like the original Making Star Wars Report, which, like Kirsty mentioned, is looking very fuzzy anyway, because they've walked so much of it back. It's completely inconclusive on what happens to Rey. It's just she disappears from the cliff edge. So it seems likely that she goes in the water, but we don't know that. And there's absolutely no reason to believe that Kylo jumps in after her. Yeah,
1: I'm honestly kind of sceptical at this idea. Again, it's coming from eyewitnesses who are probably pretty far away from the filming. And I think it was kind of at dusk or at least in the evening based on what they were seeing. Mm -hmm. So it probably was hard to see from there as well but saying that ray disappears from the fight how would they know that because if that's actually what's happening like in the film um mm. wouldn't they just take her off camera or they would stop filming or something it's not like daisy would literally disappear because they can't put her over the cliff edge <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah exactly it's really weird right yeah like i'm not sure what to make of it i think it's the kind of thing that gets
1: embellished from people being excited because they've seen some filming and then they kind of try to construct a narrative for it but not everything's going to be filmed in sequence and things look very different when they're being filmed as opposed to what you actually end up with in the story
0: Absolutely. I think there's loads of question marks about that whole sequence and we can't take anything for granted, other than the fact that Kylo turns up on Act 2 and he confronts Rain Luke.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's all you'd want to take away from it for now.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, right, and then just to move on briefly, we have a little segment on some Lego figures. And while it's mostly innocent, we do touch upon some potentially bigger spoilers that are actually go into plot stuff. So we felt it's safest to have this discussion here. So enjoy us talking about Lego figures. Um, right, then we can move on to the next story, which is that we got a bunch of Lego figure leaks. Yeah, so the first figure is Finn. And he's wearing the exact same clothes he's wearing in the Vanity Fair picture of him, and he looks adorable, as all these figures do, apart from maybe Snoke, because he's always gross. <laughs> um, he has a slightly scared/slash nervous expression, um, which I've seen some people make a fuss over, but that's just something they do. With these Lego figures—they always give them like a neutral face and then like an animated face. So it's not like it's the only one. What did you think about the figure, Kirsty?
1: Oh, I think it looks really cute. I mean,
0: mm. there's not much to say. Like you said, it's
1: the same costume that we've already seen him in. Yes. And he has his little blaster.
0: And his doll. Yeah, it's cute. <laughs> yeah. The more interesting thing to say is that there was a leak from our friend Boffin Spy on Reddit. The Star Wars Leaks subreddit, to be specific. From April 2016. And in that, um, post, they said. For episode 8, we all know that Finster wears pose jacket thanks to the set photos from earlier this month. But what you may not know is that areas damage during his duel with Kylo have been stapled back together, the red patch on his right shoulder and the slash across his back. The staples are weirdly shaped. They're not like traditional real-world fabric or office staples. They are uniquely Star Wars, sort of hedron diamond-shaped and that's relevant because on the lego figure you can see there's these little probably staples like patching the red patch on his shoulder together again
1: yeah we can only see it from the front but it still it corroborates that part of the the leak or spoiler or whatever you want to call it
0: yeah exactly and it's just such a weird niche random thing to mention it's the kind of detail i can't see anyone Conceivably making up just for the hell of it, um, because when people tend to make spoilers up, they tend to be more showy, shall we say. Um, and with this one, yeah, the Lego figure corrobor- corroborates this leak from over a year ago. So I think the validity of that person's looking pretty good, and that has interesting implications because Bob and Spy also posted more juicy stuff about Ray and Kylo having a chat in a hut which we've spoken about extensively. <laughs> and they also posted some stuff about Phasma having her arm chopped off by Finn.
1: Yeah, and the Phasma stuff, the way they described that scene, it almost seemed like it was one of the behind-the-scenes photos we'd seen um, from Celebration that Ryan Johnson shared. Like yes. that One of them in the Destroyer, and Finn and Calamari Tran are in... Oh, I can call her Rose now. I keep forgetting that we actually have her name. Um, <laughs> yes they're in their first order disguises and Phasma's there too so it seems like it mm-hmm. could be that scene that he was talking about
0: yeah no it totally could and like I think in the Boffin spy report he also described how they use all these like different kinds of weapons mm-hmm. and it was described in this really bizarre way he basically said you could not say that her arm was cut off um, Like suggesting that some kind of highly unusual weapon is used for it. And we have also had various like reports from making Star Wars again that the new guards that are with Phasma, apparently they have these very strange like laserish weapons or something like that. And that might explain why the poster was struggling to find the words to describe what actually happened to her. Mm. But yeah, it was all very intriguing stuff. Then the next one is little Lego Kale. He's very cute and he has a thin little scar running across his face through his eyebrow and he has an angry, shouty face and a neutral I'm rethinking my life face.
1: Hopefully. What do you
0: think?
1: (laughs) Hopefully he's rethinking
0: his life and his choices. Hopefully. I will admit that there is a certain level of projection going on there because there's limits to the emotional depth that can be portrayed in the face of a Lego figure. <laughs>
1: well, he looks sad, which is obviously already something that we know about Kyler's character. He's a sad person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, is this, is, this is the duality of man, that we're seeing him raging around and also sitting somberly.
0: <laughs> yeah. The The person with these figures, they pose them in the perfect way, because... <laughs> Like, when Kylo has, like, got, an, got his angry face, he's, like, literally shown stomping about. And then when he's got his sad face, he's got the wig removed. No, it's not a wig. How dare I insult Adam Driver in that way? He's got his hair removed. <laughs> and he's, like, sat down and he looks like he's been a very naughty boy and he's been told off. But yeah, projection merge!
1: <laughs> yeah, but otherwise it's kind of the costume we've already seen from Vanity Fair, right? There's not anything huge... Here in terms yeah, of surprises. exactly. It's just kind of cool to see the expressions.
0: Yeah. It's a costume we've already seen, the beautiful hair we've already seen, so it's not much new. Um, and the next one is Snoke. I think this is our third shot of talking about him, but I just. I can't. I just. I can't get over it. It's beautiful. Like, the costume. I'm really confused because. How are they going to make this guy seem scary? That's what I want to know. That's such a very good question. Like, I can't remember their exact words, but I think one of my friends might have called him, like, Pimp Voldemort or something. <laughs> That's what he looks like. He does. I'm assuming that
1: everyone who's listening has seen this, but if you haven't, he's wearing this, like, weird gold dressing gown, which, to be fair, we've already heard from Making Star Wars. They described this quite early on and um, how it contextualized Snoke in his, like, gilded surroundings on his destroyer. Um, he mm. he likes his luxuries, luxurious comforts.
0: He lives yeah. the, the rich man's life. Yeah. He clearly doesn't like take um, substandard materials at any point. <laughs> Only the best for old Snoke. Mm. Um, but yeah, he looks beautiful. He looks very <laughs> angry too. <laughs> he does. I wonder what Snoke's alternate expression is.
1: <laughs> yeah. He just looks... I don't see that. Yeah.
0: It'd be funny if it had, like, a big cheesy grin. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite high on the list of expressions he probably wouldn't have, but still. Yeah, so we see his nice wrinkly chest, and... (laughs) Like, his carved-up face is very beautiful. His eerie blue eyes. His white eyebrows as well, which is interesting. I didn't think he had any facial hair, but... Still, this is the point in our life that we've reached where we talk about this. I love it.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm hoping that we get to see this in an actual trailer or some other kind of promotional footage because it'd be kind
0: of weird if we didn't see Snoke at all, right? Mm. Like before the film. Um, And they probably... I think they have to show him because they're clearly not being shy about showing him in toys anymore. And that's actually quite a big thing that our first look at this character in The Last Jedi is in the form of a Lego figure. Yeah. I think they really do yeah. need to course correct that by showing you like a shot of him in the trailer and making you remember, oh, he's a scary badass, he is. Um, that's true. Because, yeah, otherwise so he's just funny. <laughs> yeah, if
1: this is coming out with the toys in September for Force Friday, then presumably that means before that we would get a picture of him in the trailer to some capacity so that it's not like, wait, what, that's Snoke? You know, like, they yeah. would need to have
0: some other kind of official imagery. Exactly. So, yeah, I'd count on us getting Snoke. It wouldn't surprise me if in the next trailer, to like really get people talking, mm. they include Snoke in some capacity. Because if I've learned anything from my immersion in Star Wars fandom, I've learned that people love Snoke. Oh, yeah. They are fixated with Snoke. Um, so, that, maybe that means that we would get Hux as well. Because it it, mm. ma- it
1: would make sense for them to show us the characters they haven't already, right? So that would include people like Rose, who we haven't seen at all, aside from the Vanity Fair photos. Um, yes, yeah, Snoke and Hux, kind of that mm. more focus on the Resistance First Order side of things, as opposed to just the Luke and Ray Jedi stuff.
0: Yeah, I'd really like to see that. It'd be cool to get a different perspective on the story. Um, yeah, and on the subject of Rose, she's our last figure. And she's very cute. Again, we're just wearing the Vanity Fair costume. There's not much to say there. But she's just an adorable little figure. And I like her fringe.
1: Yeah, and I like the flicky hair. And that's really sweet.
0: Yeah, it's really cute. I think she'll make a
1: good cosplay. Yeah, it seems like it'd be relatively easy to do and and easily recognizable because of that hairstyle. So.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's simple but distinctive,
1: which is what they need. Yeah, I'm interested to see what her sister will look like as well.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Like, I've seen pictures of the actress, but I don't think we've seen her in like costume or anything yet. Right. The actress is really beautiful, mm-hmm. um, but I think she's like a gunner or something, so I'm sure she won't be like a glamorous gunner. But it'll <laughs> be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Right, and then I think that's probably the main Star Wars show over, but we can actually have a chat about Twin Peaks now. I believe Kirsty isn't completely up to date, so she hasn't seen episode eight, which is the episode where things really get strange, believe it or not.
1: I don't know <laughs> but, how it yeah. can get any stranger, but apparently so, it can.
0: I'm so excited for you to see it, Kirsty. I want you <laughs> to IM me the instant you have seen it, because it's truly something else. Um but yeah, what are your thoughts up to the end of episode seven? Um I'm enjoying the show
1: and mm-hmm. it's such an experience. Um, But it's honestly hard for me to follow the narrative. I don't know if that just means I'm stupid. <laughs> but I'm trying to follow stupid. what's going on. And there's lots of stuff that just doesn't really tie up. And I, I'm i guessing it's just by design and David Lynch is just doing his thing. Yeah. Um, but there's stuff that I remember from the early episodes that I'm like, is this ever going to come back in a way? <laughs> or like char- characters that were introduced, like that guy who was, um, he was arrested because – he was his prints were found at that woman's house and he'd murdered her and had no recollection of it. Yes. Is that gonna come back into play? Because um when that happened, I was like, oh okay, it's happening again. This is Bob going to a different host, and then that was going to be the story, but then we haven't seen that guy again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Um I totally agree with you. It's very, very fragmented, it's very, very disjointed. Uh, I do absolutely think that's completely by design. I f- kind of think it's David Lynch going F U to narrative convention, which <laughs> is like it's both a good thing in the sense that he's like being an artist and doing the kind of crazy shit that artists do. It's also a bad thing in terms of it's a bit alienating. <laughs> and you can sometimes feel a bit frustrated, I think, because you're watching it and you're like, I don't understand. What's the point? What's the point of all this?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I love the stuff with Dougie and Naomi Watts' character. I can't remember her name. But mm, that's Jamie just hilarious. E, I believe.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yes, yeah, like I know what you mean about characters, like in them. That them, the, 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 like characters will appear in one episode, and then it will just go by for like six episodes before you see them again. Because like Ashley Judd's character, who's the secretary to Ben Horn like she was in episode one and then she only just cropped up again in episode seven Mm -hmm. and it's like oh you're a thing aren't you you're a person that exists um and yeah like it's extremely odd because there's not so much of like a through line and it does all seem like very meandering and pointless um until episode eight (laughs) at which point you're like oh okay there is something going on here i'm still not sure i understand it but it's truly something but i won't go into that obviously so i don't spoil it for you but i i'm so excited for you to see it okay
1: i'll I'll have to talk to you again once i've uh watched it hopefully we'll have time today but yeah. um yeah like the, the other thing was like when we saw bobby that time and we had that really moving scene where he saw the picture of laura and then the, the, I don't know like are things going to get picked up or are they kind of just like having cameos
0: yeah So, and we there haven't seen so James at all we haven't seen James at all since episode one. Oh yeah like I they literally just brought James in to say James has always been cool <laughs> <laughs> which I think is another F you to the audience to be honest because they know full well that the audience does not think that James is cool now. yeah that's pretty funny <laughs> <laughs> oh god bless their hearts Um, but yeah, like I still really admire Showtime for having the balls to do what they did and just give David Lynch a complete free hand because it is clearly a work of just pure creativity on the part of David Lynch and Mark Frost. And in that sense, I find it really inspiring. Yeah. It's fascinating to watch. And as you just kind of have to let go of the idea of
1: understanding everything that you're seeing. Yeah. Um, or even like what the show's trying to tell you because everyone's (laughs) going to have a vastly different response and a mood coming away from it um because Twin Peaks like the older show I can kind of stick on and watch whenever I'm feeling like it but for this and maybe that's why I'm taking a bit longer getting back to each episode there's some really intense stuff yeah like people being stabbed and kids being run over by cars and it's Mm -hmm. like okay yeah. I have to watch this when I'm in a very specific frame of mind. Yeah. And I've, I've had a, d- a difficult couple of weeks with school ending and everything and I'm just like, okay, I have to be in the mood for it. Yeah. I can't just stick it on and be doing my laundry or whatever.
0: Yeah, no, and exactly. it's not a casual show. You can't half watch Twin Peaks. <laughs> um, yeah, and oh god, that scene where that child
1: has run over. Yeah, I was biting my fingernails because I was like, oh my god, they're really building up to something here and this guy won't stop, he won't slow down and you can see these people. It's horrible.
0: Yeah. I, I found the performance from the old man in that scene. He's the guy from Firewalk With Me. I'm trying to remember his name. Oh, God. It's bothering me. Um, I think Pete Fossilway or something. I Is can't that like a, remember. Yeah, it's like a hard name to pronounce. But anyway, he's like a super old dude who was also in Firewalk With Me. And I just thought he gave like a beautiful performance because... Like you obviously have this crowd surrounding, like this awful, awful scene of this mother cradling the body of her dead child, and he's the only one out of all of those people who are just standing around and staring at them to actually go in, like offer comfort and like compassion, mm-hmm. and I found that really, really moving. And it was like a very true moment to the soul of Twin Peaks, I think, because like so much of the first series, at least, was about that experience of collective grieving and how mm-hmm. this one tragedy like resonates across the community. And I think it's easy to forget that with Twin Peaks The Return because it is so fragmented and disjointed that you don't like get immersed in this community atmosphere, especially because of how it flits around between locations. Because it's not like you're just in Twin Peaks as you are in the original show. You're constantly shuffling about across the United States. Mm-hmm. And that means you lose some of the intimacy but I think I appreciated that sequence because it felt like a little mini encapsulation of that mood from the original, which I hadn't really got before that point. Apart from maybe in that scene with Bobby crying over Laura, because that was really moving to me.
1: Yeah, I think that's why the scenes that I've been most enjoying are the scenes at the diner and at the police station. Yes, um, Because the rest of the show is very interesting to watch, but that stuff and seeing those characters together again and those dynamics and how they've evolved over the years, Mm. that's really great
0: to see. Yeah. I'm so, so keen to see, like, Dougie become Cooper again. (laughs) I really, really need that in my life. (gasps) Yeah,
1: I'm guessing that's where they're going. And obviously, I haven't seen the latest episodes, so I don't know what that means. But um, that... that if we're looking at an overall narrative structure, that has to be where they're going
0: eventually, but of course he could do anything with it. Yeah. I've seen some people say that the reason it's called Twin Peaks The Return is because ultimately the arc is going to be that it's Dale Cooper returning to Earth to, like, his body, um, mm-hmm. which I find an interesting idea. I'd like that. Yeah. Although at the same time, I don't want him to only return in the last episode. That would be like, oh, come on! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> But yeah, no, I love it and it's very interesting, and I cannot wait for you to see episode eight. <laughs> okay, cool. it is to kill myself. Yeah, please do. Um, right, you said everything you want to say about peekies.
1: I think so. Sorry to people who were hoping that we were going to do a weekly show. That's kind of what we were imagining, but we could not have predicted that this was the show we were going to get. Um, yeah. <laughs> I kind of. I thought again, like I said before, I thought it was going to be um kind of a rehash of the older show with just the actors at a different stage in their lives and yeah. um, kind of inside yeah. jokes and references to things and mm. cuz that was kind of what the marketing seemed to hint at
0: yeah like i think it's like a show that like actively gives the middle finger to that whole like recap culture i think it's impossible yeah, which, to is, accurately recap which is accurately awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah and is, i probably really cool. should have expected that from david lynch really mm. um, because he wasn't happy with how the second season went and yeah, this is him making things right for himself, so I think that's great.
0: He's Law Santeca in it. <laughs> <laughs> now this will begin to make things right. <laughs> Bless him. Um, right, I think we can wrap up here. So thank you very much for listening. Um, you can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastilla Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for tuning in, and until next time, bye! Bye!